Welcome to Fado Fado, a series of stories about life in rural Ireland in the first half of the 20th century as told by members of the Ballinasloe Active Retirement Association. Our first tale comes from Jim Crehan, who reminisces about his father, family and the harsh reality of emigration. My father was born in Russiastown in 1894. He was the youngest of five. His oldest brother, Jim, went to the USA in 1907, fair £12. In a little over a year, he had acquired a wife and a child, and he never stood in Ireland again. The townland of Rushestown, where he was born, in the heart of rural County Galway, was in the parish of Newbridge, equidistant from Thune, Roscommon and Manuslow, and was part of the Netherville estate, the same famous or infamous Netherville landlord that some years earlier had cleared and demolished over 60 houses and made 200 people homeless to clear the way for the more profitable cattle farming. This eviction had made newspaper headlines, both locally and nationally, and was raised in the House of Commons, where the view was made clear that the rights of property owners must be protected at all times, and to do with their property as they thought fit. Rushestown, appropriately named, as the land was generally of poor quality, lay a little bit off the beaten path. It consisted of 530 acres and contained 66 houses with a population in 1851 of 344 persons. Every house, almost without exception, was touched, containing two or at the most three rooms and most often had no back door. There was no pipe water, no sewerage. The only water supply was from a well and the local stream. Electricity and telephones were in the far distant future. Into that rural community, my father was born on the 11th of November of that year. Very clearly, that population could not be sustained on that acreage, and the census, usually taken in April of 1891-1901 and later, shows that most of the younger men, both married and single, were not present for the census. They were working in England or elsewhere, mostly on farms. And I have heard Chesterfield mentioned as a farm where my grandfather had worked. My father once told me, he remembered, the first time they saw a motor car. They were saving hay. They had heard of cars, but they had never seen one, and they heard the noise coming. They rang to the fence, and the car passed in a cloud of dust. Tar Macadam Rose was still a long way ahead. However, things were soon to change. After many years of agitation locally and nationally about tenants' rights and fixity of tenure, a series of land acts, the Windham Act and the Ashburn Act, gave authority to the newly formed Land Commission to purchase large estates to be redistributed among existing tenants. And in about 1904 or 05, my grandfather was given full tenure to a small farm and he and his family moved to where I was born, a couple of miles away. I think my grandmother had a grand plan that my father, who was the youngest, would go to secondary school and possibly qualified as a teacher, and he was sent to school in the Pines and Manaslow, 
which was the predecessor of Gabriel as the diocesan college. His older brother became ill and died in his early twenties, possibly of tuberculosis, and he was taken out of school rather abruptly, he always said. He told of how a neighbour from home arrived up on a horse's cart. My father was sent for. I knew the man well, a lovely neighbour, but he was a man of few words and straight to the point. Your brother Matt is dead, you have to come home. So he gathered up his few bits, set up on the horse's cart and set out for home. That ended his academic life and through no fault of his own he found himself in the role of a rather reluctant farmer. As time went on, his sisters also moved on, wanted to become a nun and wanted to get married and in due course met and married my mother and they set out on the long struggle to raise a family of six boys and three girls on a small farm during the 20s and 30s and 40s. He never entirely lost his academic interests and kept his eye out for batches of books at auctions and so forth. And as he was the only man in our end of the parish who had any secondary school education, he was offered to call on to help neighbours fill application forms or write letters, etc. Particularly during the war, which was called the emergency in this country, there was a programme of compulsory tillage, and he was often asked to measure the area of, of meadows or of tillage crops. Many and many a time on with the mess he walked with his surveyor's chain. Four patches, 22 yards, 100 links. And as fields come in all sorts and shapes and sizes, he taught me a formula for calculating the area of a three-sided field, which I can remember to this day as follows. From half the sum of the three sides, subtract each side separately. Multiply together the half sum and the three remainders and the square root of their product is the area. It must be remembered that that was long before the era of, era of calculators and square root was far more widely taught than it is now. With the war came a shortage of fuel and a national scheme of tough cutting was got underway and he got a job on the bog where, with such a large family of six boys and three girls, every penny was needed. My mother was not in great health some of the time, and he usually got his own breakfast. He didn't like children under his feet in the morning, so we generally kept out of his way. I remember peeping through the railing at the top of the stairs as he got his breakfast, almost always the same, a few pieces of bread, bacon fried, some of which he ate there and then, and the rest made into what we now call rasher sandwiches. He packed his lunch, went out to the shed, put his lunch on the carrier of the bicycle, took off his cap and walked down the narrow road saying his prayers. Prayer said he got on his bicycle and went off to work for the day. My grandmother died when he was 11 and I remember he was very upset. She had been in failing health for a number of years and was a massive nursing problem for my mother who at that time already had seven children. But when we came home from school that October evening, the doctor was in the house and there was a feeling that this was more serious. And early next morning, my father woke to say that Granny had died during the night and the clock in the house was stopped at the time of death. 
No school for the next two days, and all day long people were calling, and then the funeral. I really don't know how my mother kept going. There was a feeling that it was the end of an era. She had been born in 1860 and had seen great changes in the space of her lifetime, as indeed had my own father. He was born at the end of the reign of Queen Victoria when the British Empire was at its peak. He saw the start of the Great War. He lived through 1916 and its aftermath. He saw the foundation of the state. He struggled to rear a large family during the depression of the 30s and the 40s, and when he died in 1974, he had lived to see the country beginning to get on its feet socially and culturally and economically. To look back at the island he was born in and grew up in, and to look at the island that his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren are grown up now, it is surely like looking at two different planets. <laughs>